Uh, look, good morning, uh, everyone. It's Jeff Wilson speaking. Look, thank you very much uh, for calling in. Um, you know, you know, we had a, um, a shareholder call two weeks ago, which was, you know, we actually had a record number of shareholders calling in, and and just because of the incredible heightened volatility and and how the markets moved, well, how the whole economy's moved. Um, you know, significantly over the last couple of weeks, we thought it made sense. You know that we had another um, another call. You know, we'd had a lot of shareholders calling in, and and, and we really thought it was an opportunity um, to communicate effectively uh, with everyone. There's myself on the call, um, you know, the, and the other lead PMs, you know, Katrina Burns, Matt. Um, Helped Oscar Oberg, and also James McNamara, who um, runs the shelter engagement communications area. Uh, he's on the call, uh, and, and of course, look, thank you everyone for sending the questions in they sent in, and, and we'll try to um, cover them all. It's quite you know, strange that we can think back two weeks ago when we had the call. Uh, we're all uh, in the office. Um, and Katrina was in Paris. You know, obviously, since then she's come back, and for the last couple of weeks, you know, soon after that call, um, we've all been you know, working out of the office. Um, and in terms of how we've been working out of the office, you know, the it, it is, you know, it, it takes um, a day or two to adjust, or a period of time to adjust. Um, luckily, we had already tested that out, um, you know, before we came out. Uh, working out of the office on a um, consistent basis, uh, and, and what we do is you know, each morning we have a on on Skype business. You know, we have a video call with the investment team. Um, each of the uh, each of the um, areas of the organisation you know, have you know, continued open you know, video communication um, with each of the teams. You know, on a regular basis, and then once a week, um, well, actually, it's it's this afternoon, uh, just after four o'clock. Each week, we have you know the thirty-four odd employees. Um, you know, historically, we've been using um, you know Skype Business, and today we're using um, you know so we can see each other uh, and, and communicate. In in terms of you know the current. Market environment. You know, obviously, uh, it, it's, it's I think challenging on another a number of levels. Normally, you know, an equity market that that's falling, a bear market. Uh, I'm incredibly excited about uh, from a from an investment perspective. I still am from an investment perspective. I think the tougher thing in this current uh, environment is just the you know, not only the economic pain, but the um, you know, the, the human uh, you know, pain and disaster that's you know, occurring because of this virus. Um, what we do know is, you know, we will get to the other side of it. You know, we, we will know, you know, but there will be um, a vaccine uh, developed, uh, and, and there'll be herd immunity you know, will increase, uh, and, and in a couple of years' time. Uh, yeah, the or at some point in time, uh, th this whole process um, will not be as as daunting as it currently feels uh, at the moment. 
from an uh, investment perspective, in terms of the various email questions uh, that people came in with, a lot of a lot of them were saying, "Look, you know, what is your current NTA, your cash levels, profit reserves?" And if if you go to um, slide six, which you know, re, um, we, we've announced to the market, you'll see the NTA as of uh, the end of you know as of last night, effectively of the various um, funds. We've also um, shown you the cash levels. Now you, you'd be you'd see there that the you know, the, the WAM Capital, you know, the companies that look at sort of exposed to more medium sized you know, the, the medium and smaller companies, you know, there's less liquidity in those um, in, in those companies, uh, and, and there's probably a bit more volatility. So, um, yeah, the, the cash level has been increased there. In you'll see in global and, and leaders, you know, they have you know lower cash levels and say WAM Capital, WAM Micro, WAM Research, and WAM Active, and that's that's really a, a function of you know, their portfolios are highly liquid, so they can um, change them from day to day, and, and you'll see. Yeah, leaders as of as of yesterday, you know, had a little over seven percent in cash. Uh, if you went back, um, you know, just less than a week ago, yeah, it was fifteen percent plus in cash. So, yeah, you know, the you know, match ability to move that cash around um, is a lot quicker. Where you know, Oscar and his team, um, you know, with mids and smalls, it, it takes. Uh, a period of time, and also when there's been a big adjustment, when you when you're changing the portfolio, and and Oscar, Matt, and Katrina will talk about that a little later. Uh, it does take, um, yeah, it, it does take quite a lot of effort, um, and um, and and there's uh, you know, there's it just in, in these periods where there are, is a lot of change, and you're restructuring the portfolio. Um, yeah, it just there's, there's a lot of work that goes into that. Uh, now, in in terms of the dividends, a lot of there were a number of questions about um, what's happening with the dividends. All uh, you'll see on slide seven, all the dividends that um, we've announced will be paid, uh, and you'll see the dates there because that was for the the period uh, the six months earlier. Um, and in terms of our ability to continue paying dividends, you know that's really a function of. Yeah, profit reserve, profit we end up making, um, and, and also uh, tax we pay with, with franking. Now, in terms of you know, how the profit reserve works, the you know, I mean, with the current volatility in the market, who knows you know, what the market will do? But assuming you know, the market stays around these levels till June, you know, then the profit reserve, our ability to put profit into the profit reserve starts again from the 1st of July. Um, so, you know, that just gives you a bit of feeling of, of what we've got there. And, and the profit reserve is, you know, we, we have the ability to put money in the profit reserve or to put, you know, um, to increase the profit reserve on a monthly basis. Uh, and it really, you know, as I mentioned, it resets on the 1st of July each year. The... Um, in terms of look, what why don't we now go to uh, Katrina, Matt, and Oscar, uh, and, and just talk a little bit about um, how they've adjusted their, the portfolio over the last 
little period. And, and probably before, actually, before I go there, um, you know, what, are, what are we looking at you know, from an investment perspective? You know, we know that, and, and I suppose, where are we? And Matt um, circulated you know, internally to us, which, which we put in the slide pack, a, a very nice um, sort of cycle of market emotions. Uh, and, um, and when Matt flipped it around to us last week, we, we felt as though we're in the, you know, in the desperation panic uh, area. Um, now we're probably just in, in now uh, we, we, we don't think we've gone down to the, oh, actually the fear and desperation area, we didn't think we're in total panic. Um, so we currently think we're still in that area. Um, so uh, in, in terms of the market, what you're seeing is um, you, you're really seeing the battle between um, yeah, the market in terms of adjusting to the significant economic impact that um, you know, the, the coronavirus, you know, the fact that there's been the forced shutdown of, of significant parts of commerce globally, uh, the impact that will have on corporate profitabilities uh, and, and then also companies. Um, and, and we've been you know, adjusting the portfolios so we've got companies that will survive during this period. We're, we've you know, purposely... Uh, adjusted the portfolio, moving away from companies that have significant debt in, you know, in, 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 that's due in the next 12 months, because we saw that in the GFC. Um, you know, those companies tend to be at, at high risk. Uh, and you know, to companies that will, you know, to either cash levels or companies that will be, you know, we will believe will, will come out of this a lot stronger. Um, we've also... We've also positioned the portfolios to benefit from the capital that will be raised over the next you know, six to 12 months. We saw during the GFC that it was over 10% of the market's capitalisation uh, was raised over that period in terms of you know, recapitalisation, recapping a number of companies, and we're starting to see that already with uh, uh, some equity raisings, uh, and we think there'll be significantly more equity raisings over the next period of time. And we want a portfolio that's incredibly well positioned, uh, that when uh, we do get to the bottom of this bear market, then um, you know, we can really perform on the way up. And, and really, you know, what, what I believe in, in investing, it's not, you know, when you get hit, you know, you know, the X factor, you know, that creates a bear market, it's very hard to forecast those or see them. It's really to adjust the portfolio. And and it's really not about losing money in the bear market. It's how quickly you make it back in the bull market. And back in, you know, in, during the GFC, you know, we all took a bit of a hit uh, in the bear market. Um, but you know, it only took us uh, a couple of years to make that money back and go above that when the overall market uh, on an accumulation basis you know, took over six years to get back to, uh, to where it was. So yeah, the, you know, the team has been adjusting the portfolio to have the stocks that, that we want. Um, they've also done a detailed list of, you know, of, of companies that we want to be exposed to, you know, when we when we have a bit more confidence that the market um, has 
you know, has bottomed. Um, and in terms of going back to the market, you know, so what we've got is we've really got the battle between you know, the impact on the economy uh, and the impact that has on uh, corporate, you know, corporates globally. And on the other side is you've got the monetary authorities and the fiscal authorities you know, being incredibly um, responsive to try to create a bridge over this period. Um, whether they'll succeed or not, you know, the, the question is out. And then how long will this period be? Um, you know, of course, you know, the question is, is, is still out on that. Um, so look, why don't I, why don't I go to um, now the lead PMs? Um, why don't I start off with Katrina in terms of you know, how you've adjusted your, the portfolios? Yes, yeah, thanks, Jeff. Uh, so on the call earlier in March, uh, we talked about how we'd increased the cash level from around 5% in December um, 2019 to about 105 by the end of February, and we're now sitting with cash at about 19%. Um, whilst we have held various core positions, we've been, as just said, actively adjusting the portfolio since coronavirus occurred. Um, in our view, we think there will be long-term consequences of coronavirus and really how people live their lives. Uh, we expect more automation, more diversified supply chains, more online shopping, more working from home with faster moves to the cloud, uh, and, and more use of video conferencing, and then uh, increased thriftiness uh, as the unemployed have to get through what, what will be a tougher period. Uh, and, so, and as such, we've adjusted the portfolio to take advantage of these thematics um, and the new reality that we're all that we are all living in. So back in February, we quickly moved to reduce the exposure to areas such as travel, outdoor entertainment and retail, which we thought would be significantly affected by the coronavirus. We sold names such as CTS Eventum, Booking.com and LVMH. Now, whilst these are really high-quality businesses, our view was that their share prices at the time were not reflecting the new reality they were facing. They, they have since seen significant falls um, which means we can now look at them with fresh eyes and decide whether we think the downside risk is now priced in or not. We've increased the liquidity and added some larger stocks that we thought could potentially benefit from the shutdowns or which were well-placed to weather uh, an economic downturn. We sold stocks where we had even the smallest concerns on balance sheets and cyclically exposed stocks such as American Express, Airbus and United Technologies. We've, and what we've done is we've added to, position, added to positions in stocks that we thought would do well in this operating environment. And these include certain FMCG companies like Nomad Foods and Nestle, food retailers like Kobe Busan out of Japan and Costco in the US. We've taken the view uh, that indoor entertainment businesses should do well in this environment, and we've added positions in global gaming businesses such as Activision, EA, and we already owned Ubisoft. We also uh, already own Tencent out of China, but we've added to this holding. We think the payment space is one with structural tailwinds, and the push this virus provides to online shopping will help this transition occur more quickly. And so we've used the sell-off to add positions in PayPal, FIS, and Visa. And, and finally, we've added positions in companies that we think are relatively recession-resilient, such as Dollar General, Lowe's, and AutoZone. Look, thanks, um, Katrina. Matt, do you want to just give a bit of a feel of 
how you've how you're dealing with this volatility with the market and how you know, you've adjusted the portfolio. Sure, thanks, Jeff, and good morning, everyone. And hope everyone is doing okay in their uh, isolation. Um, so, the way we manage the portfolio leaders through this crisis, and it has been a crisis, has been the the quickest crash we've seen in history. So the the changes we made immediately were removing a lot of the REITs, so the the real estate companies and the infrastructure companies. These are predominantly seen as defensive companies, um, but the concern we had was they're highly leveraged and we hadn't seen them stress-tested through a recession for a long period of time. And a lot of these companies, which are classed as defensives, are very economic-sensitive. So... We removed a lot of those companies very quickly, which has um, worked in our favour. Like Katrina, we pulled out a lot of the cyclical companies which are exposed to economic trade. The reason why we did this, obviously we're going into a recession, the, the world is going into a recession, and you just don't need to be in these companies at this point of the cycle. They'll become incredibly cheap and they're getting cheaper by the day, but it's still a little bit too early to play in this space. Also, consumer discretionary, again, it's pretty tough to be in that space too. So a lot of those consumer pressure names we pulled out of as well. On the plus side, so you see our cash is not as high um, as WAM Capital. So we've tried to invest through this cycle as well. as We've flexed our cash up and down a fair bit. As Jeff mentioned, we've been hovering around that at 8%, 9%, uh, flexing up to over 15%. And the reason why I was staying a little bit invested is um, there's opportunities in this market too. So consumer staples. So we've been, we were quite early on the trade buying a lot of Woolworths and Coles. And have you seen by the pictures in the, on the news and you would have experienced this, sales are up between 20, 30% over, over a period for these guys. So um, the benefit here has been dramatic. Also the, the alcohol sales, which is another uh, interesting point of, have skyrocketed too. So there's reports of Dan Murphy's up 30 to 40% over a period too. So there is some businesses that benefit in this situation. The other one uh, sector we've been active in is in the iron ore market. So China have come out of this looking pretty good. They've, they've stopped the spread. They're slowly getting back to normal activity. They're just shy. They're probably running, running around 90% of normal economic activity at the moment. And one of the things they're doing is because the rest of the world is so slow, they need to work out how they can grow. And the way they're going to grow is launching infrastructure projects. So um, one of the key components of infrastructure is steel and iron ore is a, a, a product that goes into the steel making process. So for us, this was one of the easier trades. So we're expecting iron ore demand to be around 1.1 billion tonnes uh, run rate between April and December. And... That's why we've invested in these companies because there can't be a supply-side response from iron ore um, in the short term. So this has been a good trade. Um, we, we continue to hold these stocks. Um, we're just watching, of course, like everyone else, the impact um, ex-China and the impact it could have on these. So cash will, will wound up and down a fair bit. Um, as Jeff said, we're running around just over 7%. We just took a big line in uh, the West Farmers coal sell down, so that's dropped our cash a little bit. But I expect cash to hold around 9%, 10% over the next few weeks, uh, barring unforeseen circumstances. The other thing we've um, put into the portfolio is we've upped our gold weighting. So gold has gone up um, 
just shy of 4% of, of the funding in gold equity stocks. So these include Saracen, Northern Star and Newcrest. Um, we bought gold after you, you would have seen gold really fell away um, during the, the crash. And the reason why this happened was the, the race for US dollars. US dollars was a safe haven and everyone was trying to get their money uh, into US dollars and get US dollar liquidity by raising money. So what we're seeing is gold got sold off heavily and we took that opportunity to purchase some of these gold gold names which have done well for us. What happened in the GFC as well was gold initially in the liquidity event gets sold, but then post that does really well. And as Jeff mentioned, there's so much fiscal policy and monetary policy out there that gold should be in a pretty good spot if they can get control of this US dollar shortage, um, which is a liquidity problem. So we think we're almost there. Um, the Fed, even last night, came out with um, repo operations for all central banks. So even Australia can access the Fed um, market through repos. So um, that's a way of getting short-term money without um, it's, you put some collateral to the Federal Reserve and they give you some US dollars. So again, they're really trying to get a handle on this. So the portfolio is, I guess the overarching theme of the portfolio is high quality, good balance sheets, and we're just trying to pick best of breed at the moment. So just find these companies that have some optimism in a, in a pretty um, dire position at the moment. So uh, pretty well positioned, but just to watch that cash. That cash will fluctuate around a fair bit. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Matt. Uh, and Oscar, do you want to give the guys a bit of a rundown of what you've been doing with the portfolio? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Look, very similar to, to Matt and Katrina, there's been a big focus on quality here at WAM Capital. So I guess as we talked about um, a few weeks ago, we immediately reduced our exposure to cyclical sectors, such as mining services and retail, I guess given our, our pessimistic view on the economy going forward. And most importantly, uh, we sold some of our, very early sold some of our less liquid companies or very small companies within the portfolio. Because as Jeff said up said earlier, liquidity can really dry up and this prevents your ability to sell these companies in periods such as this. So at the time when we last spoke, our cash was sitting at uh, 34%. It averaged just over 40% uh, for, for, the, for the month of March and it's currently sitting at 38% today. So over the course of, of the month, we have actually seen some opportunities with companies with some high-quality larger companies uh, trading at depressed valuations. And we've bought small positions in uh, CleanAway, uh, IPH Holdings, and added to our TPG Telecom uh, Holdings. And these companies fit our investment process. And like Katrina said earlier, we think these, these, the earnings of these companies will be quite resilient over the next few years. And we think they will actually beat um, earnings expectations going forward. I'm actually sitting here in Yass in country New South Wales. And, you know, I, you think we're stressed watching the market? You should see farmers. Um, my parents, I don't think, have slept for the last few nights. And the reason is there's a, lot of, there's a bucket load of rain coming over the next few days. And here in Yass, we haven't gotten the rain that northern New South Wales and, and southern Queensland have had uh, over the last couple of months. And it's, it's booming up there. The drought's certainly broken. And for these reasons, we've been buying. We're adding to our agricultural uh, sector holdings within the portfolio. We see a very strong outlook for elders, uh, grain, corp, grain corp and costa over the next two years. I think it's very important to talk about uh, liquidity within WAM Capital at the moment. Uh, within our top 20 holdings, the market capitalisation over the last month has actually increased 
uh, by 30%. Um, and in fact, we could, if, if things deteriorate further, we could sell 70% of our equities uh, within the next uh, 10 days if, thing, if things do worsen. So, look, while we're sitting at 38% cash, the liquidity of the portfolio of our equity exposure has increased, so we're well prepared if, if things worsen from here. So I think overall, look, we're, we're cautious, but we are seeing opportunities, um, you know, to buy some quality small cap companies, as Jeff talked about, um, and we do see some opportunities with discounted capital raisings and placements that could potentially be, be occurring in the future. Look, thanks, Oscar. And look, thanks everyone that sent their questions in. Uh, and if, if we don't cover them today um, or on this conversation, then you know, we'll come back to you, um, even ones that are asked questions today, and answer them. Uh, there was, why don't I just go through a couple of the questions. Uh, initially, um, for you, Katrina, there was a, uh, a question from uh, Graham Pennyquick, um, and that is, what is the current hedging of currencies in the global portfolio? Uh, and what effect on the portfolio will this have if, if the Aussie dollar rises or falls? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. So, so the global portfolio uh, is, is unhedged. Um, we do have the ability to hedge, um, but when we launched the fund, we really uh, listened to the feedback that the shareholders gave around wanting global shares for diversification for, the, for their portfolios, which were um, at, at that point largely an Australian dollar-denominated uh, assets. Um, the Australian dollar, since we've launched the, the fund um, relative to the US dollar, for example, has, has fallen, which has benefited um, uh, our holdings, which are basically 99% outside, outside Australia. Um, but we have a variety of currencies um, because each company, like depending on whether it's a German or a French bi um, business, will, will be denominated in euro. Um, and then we have obviously a wide number of US stocks. So... We have a variety of, um, of currency exposures. We consider both the individual stock that we want to invest in and the currency exposure when we are adding a position. Um, but the portfolio is unhedged um, and, and does provide diversification for, for the shareholders, but will be uh, impacted as the, as, the, as the Aussie dollar rises or falls um, on the translation effect. Gotcha. Um, and Matt? There was a question from uh, Bob Hogtree, um, and he was he asked. Uh, his question is: What trading activity has occurred during the price oscillations of the last couple of weeks in the leaders' portfolio? Sure, thanks, Jeff and Bob. Uh, so the trading has been elevated over the last few weeks, and this market is presenting a lot of opportunities. So. Uh, some of the trades we've been putting on is stocks in the same sector having a wide variance. So, for example, you might be looking in the REIT sector uh, and you could see Goodman Group could be up 3% and then another stock in the same sector could be down 5 to 7% as uh, funds or people become distressed, they start selling some of their holdings. So some of the things we've been doing is doing a lot of these trades within sectors on a relative basis during the day. Uh, these are very short-term trades, but again, just some of the opportunities you can do in this market. Also, um, some of the other trades is, there's a very weird thing that happens in the Australian market at the moment. So if the market is up or down by three o'clock in the 
in the afternoon, there'll be a big sell-off or a big um, jump up in the index, depending on if it's up or down. So if it's down, it will sell off into the close, and then on the match, it'll get sold off a lot. And then if it's up, post 3 o'clock, it goes on a huge rally and then matches up uh, in the, the match at the end of the day. So... There's all these little things you can take advantage of. So our trading activity is a lot higher than it would normally be um, as we try to make money in this market. So it, it's very volatile. Um, it's very hard to trade um, outright um, early in the morning. So what we've been doing is sitting out for the first hour to see how it settles. And then we might trade around between 11 and two o'clock and then wait for three o'clock to see the direction. So very short-term focus, but that's what you need to do in these markets. So your trading activity is high and there's all these little peculiar intricacies in the market at the moment. So we're trying to take advantage of those uh, for our shareholders. Just trying to pick up a dollar here and there. And and just on that, Matt, do you think that's... You know, do you think that's the passive money, like the ETFs you know, going one way or the other, or the passive money flowing into yeah. the market? The- well, I, th- I think it is. It's, no one's in these markets. No one really knows until after the effect. But there's all these. Um, everyone has a, their best guess of trying what it is. But it appears to, to me, it looks like passive because it's matching up um, in matches aggressively. And to me, it's offshore passive because. I've been watching the Australian dollar. So the Australian dollar, as we all know, is falling off a cliff. That really protected our market. Um, And you can basically work out if the Australian dollar is up, our market's going to be soft um, generally, um, which is funny because Australian dollar is normally a risk on currencies and our our market should go up. But there's all these little uh, weird things. I think it's offshore passive because it seems to move in line with the Australian dollar and then just gets amplified into the close. So into the close just feels like passive to me. Okay, thanks, Matt. The And, and Oscar, um, your question was from uh, John Benger, and it's how solid are the balance sheets of the companies in which um, we being you know, WAM Capital, et cetera, have, have a substantial holding in? Thanks, Jeff, and thanks, John. I think the first thing I'll point out to our shareholders listening on the call is that our substantial shareholdings or the substantial shareholdings that you see on the ASX when we go over 5% in a company aren't necessarily the substantial um, shareholdings within WAM Capital. I'll give you an example. Uh, Meyer is our 40th largest company in WAM Capital and has a weighting of 0.5%. So it's, it's very, very small. But I guess in these uncertain times, the best work you can do, and yeah, Matt touched on this earlier, is to really assess the quality of the companies that you own in terms of their balance sheet. Now, over the course of the month, the team has done extensive uh, sensitivity analysis, uh, looking at debt and cash levels of the various companies we own, just to determine how long these companies can survive if you have a period of time, such as a retailer, where you might not have any sales or revenue for, say, six months. Now, for those companies that have a bad balance sheet and and low levels of liquidity, we've sold out of those positions. Those companies that have a very strong balance sheet, we've held on to these companies, and in some instances, we've actually increased because we think they'll do better coming out of this uh, downturn. Now, to give you some uh, granularity around this, uh, we had a look at our top 20 holdings within WAM Capital yesterday. Now, 25% of these holdings are net cash, which means they have more cash on the balance sheet than their debt outstanding. 
and then the remaining 75% have a leverage ratio of 1.3 times. Now, the standard bank covenant for a leverage ratio is around three times, which means that earnings, or if these companies were to breach uh, covenants, they'd need their earnings to fall uh, by 60% or more. So, look, we're, we're very confident on the larger companies that we own in terms of their balance sheets, and we think these, these companies will come out of this uh, much stronger. Look, thanks, Oscar. Um, and, and there was, just before we open up to um, general questions, there's, I think there's, there were a lot of questions through about our ability to pay the current dividends, which you know we are paying, and then potential future dividends. Uh, now, in terms of the company's abilities to pay the future dividends, then obviously they need profits, uh, and for them to be franked, you know, there needs to be um, a level of uh, franking credits. Now, the and, and the question is, you know, everyone wants to know is, what will the final dividend be, you know, which will be announced in August this year? I mean, that is incredibly difficult um, to you know to say what it'll be at this point in time because it really depends on you know what the market's done over that period of time, uh, and also you know the level the level of the profit reserves, you know whether those profit reserves have been topped up by the performance of the portfolios in you know, July and August this year. So. Uh, and and all those you know the decisions on dividends, they're all um, they're board decisions, uh, and for each you know listed investment company, obviously there's different boards. Um, yeah, we understand. You know, what we try to do is you know, give a consistent you know, um, dividend. We understand this is sort of a a, a unprecedented period, um, and really. It really depends on how the portfolios have performed you know, w when we get to um, August this year. So it's it's nearly impossible to guess um, because of you know what's happening with the market. Um, so that's just the, sort of the commentary on dividends. Now, James, will I go back? Do you want to uh, run through yeah. any uh, specific questions we've got? Thanks, Jeff. So I'll read out some of the questions we've received from shareholders coming uh, through the webinar line before we move to the uh, telephone callers. So the first one's from Ray Capito, um, and it's and it's a question for Matthew. For income-focused investors, how concerned should we be about dividends being cut across Australian corporates? How broad will the cuts be, and how long will it take for companies to commence repaying dividends? Uh, thanks, Ray. Incredibly difficult question to answer, but let's have a go at it. Um, companies are in survival protection mode at the moment, so um, we've, we've touched on that, trying to preserve balance sheets. So dividend cuts are coming. The quantum, I think they'll be in the range of 20 to 30% at, at, a, at a guess on where corporate profits are going to be, and I think a lot will be suspended as well. We've already seen companies with... Um, balance sheet issues suspend their dividends. So um, if they're not sus suspended, they're, they're probably in a better space. And I'd, I'd be expecting dividend cuts of 20 to 30%. Obviously, it's a function of how long the, the shutdowns go on for. Um, 
But if, if, to return from, let's say uh, the economy does a stage recovery after June, I would have thought it'd be at least second half of the calendar year in 2021 before dividends would be back to where um, they would be normally or where they were pre this, and that's probably being optimistic. So I think you've really got to bank on over a year and a bit before you get dividends back to levels where they were because there's going to be a lot of pain in the short term and it would really, it's just really a function of the virus um, containment and when the economy is opened back up. So these, these are the two crucial things you need to watch there. But yeah, d- dividends, if not suspended, are definitely being cut. Excellent. Thank you, Matt. And the next is from Eli Greenblatt at The Australian. Jeff, do you think that due to the massive blowout in government spending and a spike in our debt, there will be a renewed attack on franking and credits? and a fresh call for franking credit to end as the government looks to cut spending. Look, thanks. Thanks, Eli. I mean, the fascinating thing, Matt was doing some numbers the other day, and uh, it looks like that the government's going to spend the equivalent of 10.6% of GDP um, over over a six-month period, Uh, and and that is unprecedented uh, spending. Now, Someone, yeah, you know, someone has to pay for that. Um, yeah, you know, whether it's you know, higher taxes later on, um, or yeah, you know, has to be paid for in the future at some point in time. The yeah, you know, and, and where should that where should that money come from? The you know, our view on franking has always been it is a it, it's a logical system which encourages companies to. Um, Pay tax in Australia, employ Australians. Uh, it, it encourages people to invest in Australian companies, um, and yeah, and it encourages companies to raise equity rather than debt. Uh, and and we'll see during this adjustment period how Australian companies perform versus more you know, globally more highly geared companies. Um, and I think you'll find they perform well. Our our major concern, yeah, with franking was the yeah inequitable um, nature of the labour proposal, where you could have you know, five uh, individuals that were all the same age, all in retirement, and getting you know five different outcomes. So, um, yeah, I would assume from a government's perspective. You know, everything would be on the table. You know, my view is the franking system you know, encourages you know, the right behaviours, um, and and that's that's what you need. Um, you know, whether 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 they you know look at it, I'd assume everything would be on the table in terms of how is this going to be funded. So you couldn't rule it in or out. All all we hope is if anything's done, it's done equitably and fairly and logically. So so to me, the previous proposal was encouraging people to invest, take your money offshore, like encourage Australian companies to invest offshore, encouraging individuals to invest offshore. Like to me, that is just illogical. In these times when things are difficult, you want capital. So you want the money to be invested a, in Australian companies, and B, you want Australian companies to employ Australian workers um, and pay tax in Australia. So 
to me, um, yeah, it, it is a, a very logical system. Excellent. Thank you, Jeff. So the next question is for Oscar um, from Paul Keenan. Do you think companies like Afterpay face the prospect of high defaults from clients, higher than expected, perhaps? Hi, Paul. Look, th thanks very much for your question. Um, my answer would be yes, I, I, I do. Um, that's one of the reasons why we don't Afterpay. In fact, we don't own any of the um, buy now, pay later players um, across the market. Um, I think the, the key for these guys is they haven't been tested in a serious recession. And if you look at their, their clientele, um, they're mainly millennials. And unfortunately, these are, this is the cohort of the workforce that are going to be impacted the most. Um, you know, I was looking the other day, I think one in 13 people are, are employed in the travel industry. I think it's a, a pretty similar number for hospitality. Um, and the vast majority of these would, would be millennials. So, look, we, we would be, we're, we're concerned on afterpay. Certainly the government stimulus announced in terms of, um, uh, you know, salaries and so forth and the support from the Morrison government will assist, but um, you know, the, these are stocks we're, we're staying clear of at the moment, uh, particularly with un the likelihood unemployment is going to be well over 10%. I mean, it's, it's, interesting, that, yeah, it's interesting comment um, you made, Oscar. The one thing, as investors, it's worthwhile paying attention that, that the significant structural changes that will happen um, when, when, when things do get better, when we do uh, you know, reach the other side of this, you know, this you know, very difficult period. Uh, and with millennials, I, I would assume you'll find millennials and maybe even the, maybe more so the generation below them will change their behaviour. Like historically, you know, millennials probably spent all their, most of their money on experiences or most of the money they earned, they spent it. When, when I started in the industry in 1980, I remember the savings rate in Australia was 20%, and that was because we'd just gone through you know, a difficult period. So I think you know, the the younger generation will be less, you know, more risk averse. You know, they'll probably have a higher savings rate than they previously did. They'll probably spend less money on experiences. You know, I've even found um, you know, that, that I've been drawn online where you know, historically I'd jump in the car and drive up somewhere and buy something. You know, now, because that's sort of off the agenda, you know, I'm going a lot more online. And it wouldn't surprise me if the online uh, participation uh, is, is a permanent shift. Uh, also, you know, for uh, rental, you know, what we're finding is you know, just a little microcosm, our own organisation, how efficient we can be yeah, you know, with whether it's you know Skype business uh, or Zoom, uh, communicating with each other, and I'd assume uh, companies, a lot of companies, will look at just you know permanent reductions in rentals. So, you know, in, in rentals, you know, I, I was talking to someone yesterday, and they were estimating it could mean you know, ten to fifteen percent of rental space um, becomes surplus. So, you know, as Matt said, you know that has a flow-on effect. Uh, with property trusts, uh, REITs, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, what, what we're spending a lot of time doing, not only making sure we've got a good portfolio for when, uh, for, the, for this, you know, to weather this difficult period, 
um, we've got a portfolio that we want in terms of exposure when the when the market picks up, and you know that's obviously you know the quality companies. You know the first leg of the market bouncing is usually the financials, you know, and the leverage financials. You know, things like Macquarie, you'd, you'd want to be long at that point in time. Um, and other quality companies that will benefit in that first leg up. Uh, and also those companies that will find you know, some permanent changes. Um, so there are a number of areas that we've been spending quite a bit of time looking at. Great. And next one for you as well, Oscar. If a company has high quality but low liquidity, would you sell it? Or conversely... Does low liquidity prevent you from buying a high-quality business? Thanks, James. That's an, that's an excellent question. I think, firstly, low liquidity definitely doesn't provide us, um, doesn't stop us from buying a business. And so I think probably the, I'll give you an example. It's probably the best way to do it, I think. But City Chic, um, you know, which I talked about um, at the investor presentations back in November, um, we first bought in WAM Capital at around 40 or 50 cents. And no one, no one liked the company you know, it wasn't it, it wasn't it wasn't liquid at all. Um, you know, and that stock, you know, at the end, at the end of February hit three dollars sixty. Now, over the course of time, now, you know, the company went from say a, a fifty million dollar market capitalization to around three hundred fifty mil market capitalization. That's still a fairly illiquid stock. Um, you know, within within WAM Capital. Now, in that time, it became a more popular stock, and so it meant that all our competitors uh, owned the company. And I guess as soon as um, you know COVID nineteen hit, um, you know the stock fell quite sharply. And I remember there was a, there was a buyer out there. We own sort of you know close to five percent of the company. There was a big buyer, and we, we took the liquidity because it was in retail. Um, you know, we still think it's a high quality business, um, but we knew that if everyone else started selling, and all our competitors were going to go to safety, they were also going to sell their positions, go to cash. City Sheik was a, you know been a very successful business for a number of years. They're happy to take profits, so there could be a lot of downside. Now, what we've seen over the last three weeks is, you know, the stock hit lows of 80 cents um, just over a week ago. Now, we've actually been buying shares back quite, quite extensively in that period. Um, so that hopefully that gives you a flavour as to why um, why you need to sell some of your less liquid names early because you want to beat the herd effectively, which is all your, comp- your competitors. Thank you, Oscar. And Katrina, the next tour for you. First from Chen Yu. Why was LVMH sold by WAM Global? Yeah, sure. Um, so, so we sold um, LVMH back uh, in February. Um, so that was when, at that point, we knew um, China was obviously being um, impacted considerably, considerably uh, by coronavirus. Um, at that point, the stock had barely um, sold off, despite the fact that over 40% of their sales um, are to a Chinese consumer. Um, and, and we knew that stores um, in China were being shut down uh, and that the Chinese were, were not going to be travelling. Um, so, so their sales come from the stores that are actually in China and then from the Chinese travelling to multiple places um, ara- around the world. So we thought there was going to be a significant impact uh, on earnings from the, from the coronavirus. Um, we spoke to um, both the company uh, and other players in the space, such as Kering, which owns Gucci, um, Moncler, um, and they were saying that foot traffic in China was off over 80%, um, and yet the stock hadn't moved. It was trading on a peak multiple, so the highest multiple, PE multiple, it ever traded on. 
uh, at 28 times. Um, historically, it's traded on around 18 times. Um, and in the GFC, got to as low as, as 10 times. So we thought it was a great opportunity um, to, to sell the stock. We still think it's a very high-quality business. Um, and we've actually like just just started nibbling a little bit, um, given it's fallen. Um, it, it fell from um, 420 um, to below 300. Um, so yeah, we, we thought it was a good opportunity, given the stock price hadn't moved, um, was trading on peak peak valuation, and there was significant earnings risk. Um, and and we've um, it gives us the opportunity to to relook at it now um, at a much lower share price. Excellent. Thanks, Katrina. Um, the next one is from Dan Rath, and this will be the final webinar question before we open the lines uh, for our telephone listeners. How are you positioned in exchange businesses, and will some of them thrive in this environment? Uh, yes. So we own um, CME Group um, and, and ICE. Um, so two exchange exchange businesses, um, CME is the world's largest derivatives de- derivatives exchange, um, offering marketplace for, for financial derivatives on interest rates, equities, energy, um, ag commodities, etc. Um, and these are just the kind of businesses that benefit from from greater volatility, um, given that market participants use derivatives to protect against uncertainty. Um, as such, the volumes at the moment are going through the roof. Um, so, so they are very much um, benefiting from from the volatility in markets, and we think they're a, they're a, they're a good place to be in this kind of environment. Thanks, Katrina, and, and we'll now just hand over to the operator to uh, to connect the callers. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen on the phone, if you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. A voice prompt on your phone line will indicate when your line is open. Please state your name before posing your question. Again, please press star 1 to ask a question. We'll pause a moment to allow everyone an opportunity to signal for phone questions. We'll take our first question from. Hi there, it's uh, Tim Monkton here. Um, With the unprecedented fiscal stimulus, which the Australian government has done, which effectively is about 10% of GDP, and you've seen the RBA over the last eight days buy $27 billion worth of bonds, and the economy is going to get the benefit of the oil price collapse, which is about 1% of GDP. How do you lot feel in terms of the recovery going forward? Do you envisage a V-shaped recovery, an L-shaped recovery, or a U-shaped recovery? Hi, Matt. Do you want to – you you said that thing around the other day. Do you want to have a go at that? Sure. Thanks, Tim. Good question. So monetary policy just makes it easier for companies to transact at lower levels. Fiscal policy addresses uh, the income hole we're experiencing. So we worked out roughly 40, I think it's around 43%, around 43 to 46% of the economy is effectively shut down daily. Um, 
and, and this is through a lot of uh, services. So the big thing we're missing at the moment is consumption. And again, if you look at GDP, it's around 68% of the Australian economy. So the way you've got to frame how we come out of this recovery is how we implement the uh, how we come out of this virus. So if you think it will be we hit June and then it's just every restriction is lifted, then it's going to be a V-shape. But reading a lot of material globally and the experience back in the Spanish flu was they lifted restrictions too early and you had a second wave. So um, all the papers are saying now you've got to implement a staged recovery uh, or stage lifting of the band. So that says it's going to be more like a U-shape, but I agree with you. The, the, the recovery in the economy will be U-shaped, but the recovery in the shares will be V-shaped. That's, that's how I'd frame it, because the policy you've seen yep. is so bullish for risk assets, but the risk asset recovery will be a lot faster than the economic recovery. Um, I'd, I'd frame it that way. So I think the two will vary. Yeah, thank you. We'll take our next question from... Hello, uh, Magnus Faison here from Melbourne. Um, it's a question for Katrina. I think global market's down sort of 30 40% across the board, yet the Wilson Global um, NTA seems to have only fallen around 15 to 20%. How has this been achieved? Is this down to the uh, currency movements, or is there more talk? Yeah, no, it, look, we're... we're um, it is... That, that's right. The, in terms of the, the MISCI um, uh, fall um, is... Uh, has been balanced by the fact that that the Australian dollar has has fallen considerably. Um, so I think for year to date, like or well, months to date, I think Misty's um, you know down about twelve thirteen percent relative to to much um, more significant falls when you you don't factor in the the Aussie dollar. Um, small caps are down uh, about seven percent more um, more than that. Um, so what we we've we're, but we've fallen about commensurate with, with, with the large cap index despite having a lot of small caps and that's because we've had, um, we've had that cash in the portfolio. Um, so yes, it is that, that difference is, is significantly the, um, the, the Aussie dollar move. We'll take our next question from. Hello, my name's George. Um, I have been selectively buying in the uh, various Wilson funds as the market's been dropping a little bit here, a little bit there, so um, dollar cost averaging, I guess, if you like. Um, usually I take my cue from buying in the licks when um, Jeff or some of the other people uh, there are actually buying themselves. Um, so I noticed there hasn't actually been any buying as yet by anyone, so that makes me slightly nervous, but uh, is that something that you're looking at, um, actually topping up your own holdings in the various listed investment companies? Yeah, look, look. thanks, George. And the, I mean, the one that's yeah, exceptional value is is WAM Global at the moment, uh, you know, in terms of the discount NTA. Uh, and you can see the numbers you know, on, on page six. Um, what, the, the difficult part is... Well, first of all, if we take a step back, 
we knew at some point in time a bear, we were going to get a bear market. Uh, uh, in theory, uh, at various points in time over the last couple of years, we're thinking, oh, it'll be coming soon, it'll be coming soon. Um, the And now, I mean, the bear market started. One thing I suppose we're all grappling with is what Matt said is we're, we're trying to, um, if there wasn't, the phenomenal monetary and fiscal stimulus, then the market would definitely be a lot lower, uh, and and it would be, yeah, you know, probably like a more normal bear market where, you know, in the GFC, you know, I think the market fell 54% in the in the um, yeah in the 87 crash. I think the market fell 50%, uh, and and it's really, to me, it's it's. Tr- we're trying to work out, um, like, how long will the economies be shut down? You know, what impact does that have on, you know, effectively corporate uh, profitability and earnings? And to how much of the whole is being you know, filled in by, effectively, you know, the, the fiscal policies? The um, and, and also superimposed on that, is if this is a, a sort of a more normal bear market, you know, which it doesn't appear it is at this point in time, but it may end up playing out, then like bear markets do go for more than a month. So you know, the yeah you know, we could be exceptionally lucky, and we might have seen the bottom, um, but that would be incredibly unusual. You know, we, we, it would be the on top of the longest bull market ever in the US, it would be the quickest bear market ever. Um, so, you know, personally, you know, I've got I've got limited resources, so I've got X amount of cash. Um, you know, I, I already have a large exposure, you know, to um, you know the, the various LICs. So I suppose in, instead of dollar cost averaging, like someone asked me the other day, you know, a, a young person that had 100 grand wanted to invest and I said look you know, who knows where the bottom is you know, why don't you just you know, spend $10,000 a month for the next 10 months and I'm sure you would have, you know, it, would have been, it would have been in there somewhere um, so I suppose I'm trying to be a little tricky you know, the, um, I was, I've been incredibly tempted to buy Wham Global particularly when I, I looked at it the other day uh, and it was you know, around that 140 level, and it was effectively you know, trading at a 30% discount. You know, I know it's it's around that, uh, slightly less than that at the moment. So in theory, you know, if the market was a normal bear market and did fall another 30%, you're buying it at the bottom of that bear market, you know, assuming it did. Uh, and, and then... Then I went. I was going to buy some, but it was oh, it was at the end of the day. It was when it was a dollar forty, and then of course the next day it was up. So I oh no, I'm not going to buy it today because I could have bought it yesterday. And then the next day it's up again. <laughs> so I've sort of held off. Um, but yeah, so I mean that's that's where I personally am. You know, I, I'm definitely prepared to commit more money. You know, I, I, I would just like to because we've, there's so many uncertainties on the. You know, on the length of the the lockdown or the you know, whatever the shutdown, um, and trying to get a bit more visibility on that. Uh, and and someone I think there was a webinar question that 
got sent in is, you know, the, the market's rallied over the last you know, week or so. Yeah, you know, is this a is this a dead cat bounce uh, or, or a, a bear market rally? Uh, and it could well be. Um, I actually think the bear market needs time. You know, it, it needs time to create its um, you know, a bottom. You know, I think it's it's too early if if, if we've already had the uh, bottom. Uh, and back in uh, back in the GFC, I think in you know, the Dow had two twenty percent rallies. Um, and back in after the tech wreck, you know, early two thousand, I think there were two in the in the bear market. There, there were two twenty percent rallies. So I suppose from my perspective, I'm just trying to be a bit cute. Uh, I'm trying to you know, get a bit more confidence that you know, that we have uh, hit a bottom um, before I'm going to commit capital. Thank you, Jeff. Oh, actually, I, I noticed the time. Um, yeah, so I, I see, like, we're just on 10 o'clock. Uh, and, uh, look, thank you for all your questions. Anyone else who has questions, you know, please you know, send them in. Um, we're very happy to, um, yeah, to answer them. Remember, you, know, you own the companies, and, and we do this um, yeah, we have this opportunity because you let us do it. Yeah, even though you know, recently there's been enormous amount of stress, both you know, from a market's perspective, but also you know, I think everyone's you know, feeling a lot of personal stress in terms of what's happening. Um, uh, so you know, we, we do love what we do. You know, the last month has been brutal, you know, I think, in, in a number of ways. The um, you know for us is you know, when you're adjusting the portfolios you know the the it, it takes time to adjust the portfolios we're all happy where the portfolios are now um, and, and we think we're well positioned to take any advantage um, you know that when you know that, that when we're you know, pretty confident um, that. Uh, you know, that things will continue to improve. You know, the, the big uncertainty is the fact that you know, how long is is this? Um, you know, is this economic sort of black hole going to go for? You know, is it is it two months? Is it three months? You know, we think, as Matt said, that when things do open up, it'll be slow. You know, like uh, you know, international travel will be slow. There'll be a number of other things, but the market tends to look through all those. Uh, and that's what we're all trying to grapple with at the moment is, you know, to what is the market looking through? Um, but, you know, our challenge is, is to, you know, I think everyone loses money in, in bear markets and, and, and a good manager, you know, can make that money back, uh, you know, at the start of the, the, the bull market uh, a lot quicker than the, you know, rest of the market. So that's, that's our big challenge. Yeah, thank you for support, and please you know, send any other questions in to us. Yeah, everyone be safe. Thank you.